Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When we say to kids, like, look, you'll laugh about this later, that's similar. That has sort of a similar ring to it of that, that expression that I tell people not to say is, what's the worst that could happen, right? We're trying to say, like, you can handle this. I'm an adult. I've been through this, too. It'll get better. But it just sounds, in the moment, if you've got a teenager, a young person who's experienced some sort of horrible, cringy social experience... It doesn't work in the moment to say you'll laugh about this later. We know they will, but you just in the moment, not so helpful to say that. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Then we're going to talk about embarrassment today. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Because we all have been so embarrassed. It's such a hard thing to experience, isn't it? Man, we've all had moments where you just want to crawl into the floor. Yes. And we, we definitely have. But the skill or the support one needs, especially as a parent to help your kids after they experience the most embarrassing moment of their life, you know, in this really hyperbolic way, we think this episode might be a little fun and a little helpful. That's right. A little fun and a little helpful. Okay. So do you want to go first with your most embarrassing story? I was thinking about my most embarrassing story. We have so many, right? The one that sticks out... I don't cringe now, but I still cringed for a while when I would recall it. This is going to make us sound so old, but this was still in the relatively early days of email. This was in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. AOL dial-up. Actually, I think companies didn't have dial-up. We had what was called like a T1 line or something oh, like that. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the company had a T1 line. So this was before I even had a personal email. I had a work email and I had had a date with a boy and this date had gone really well. And the date even agreed to watch my favorite movie that's considered not so good. It's like, you know, you like something in irony, right? Yeah. And so I have a best guy friend. He said, how's your love life going? You know, and I was like, oh, I had a new date with this boy. Look at what he wrote me. And in the email, he was like, can't wait to see you again. And I'd love to watch this movie. So I forwarded that to my friend and I said, hey, if he's willing to watch this movie, does he like me or what? Oh, no, I see where this is going. So then my friend, I don't know how, replied all. So oh, that the boy then got, got that, email. that email. So that was embarrassing because that was our first date. And then what happened? Well, I wanted to kill my friend. <laughs> and I was also like, how did this even happen? He had fancier email that like pulled in all the emails in the chain or something. 
Because even to this day, it's like, well, how did he do that without actually manually adding that in? Who knows? Yeah, those were in the early days of email. We had a friend who had a job. My husband used to work with him and then they both left the company. But he wrote that email about the president of the company, rah, 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 and sent it to everybody in the company. Mm. And you know what? He got fired. <gasps> Ooh, I didn't get fired, but the boy and I dated for a couple of months. Oh, you so. did? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So he handled it. Yeah. Okay. So here's my most embarrassing. Well, I have two. One, I can't tell you because it's, I mean, it's really funny, but I'm not going to tell you. The Well, you'll tell me, but you're not going to tell all of our listeners. Right. Have I told you about the behind the chicken coop story? No. Oh, okay. So tuck that away and I'll share it with you at some point. Okay. So that was just mean to everyone listening now. Okay. Well, maybe someday I'll tell it. That'll keep everybody's keep listening. And maybe someday I'll tell the behind the chicken coop story. So my story is I was in 10th grade, going into 10th grade. And I played tennis all the time when I was a kid. I played a lot of sports, but that was my favorite thing to do. And I played a lot with guys. I liked hitting the ball with guys. And so my mixed doubles partner was a person named Steven. And he was going into ninth grade. I was going into 10th grade. And we were really good buddies. And we were really good mixed doubles partners. And we played in a match. And we finished the match. And you know, at the end, you walk up to the net and you shake hands with your opponents. So we walked up to the net, and as we're shaking hands with the opponents, he puts his arm around me. Now, it was clearly like a planned maneuver, and I don't know who gave him this advice, but I immediately started to feel like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, because I hadn't really had a boyfriend by then. Cut to a few days later, it becomes clear that he likes me, I'm not really into this, and we're hanging out after we play tennis, we used to be buddies, now it's weird, I had a cold. We're talking and all of a sudden I sneezed. And as I sneezed, a softball amount of snot came out of my nose into my hand. So I'm standing there in front of him. Now, prior, prior to the unfortunate arm over the shoulder, we would have laughed. But now the whole tenor of the relationship has changed. So I'm standing there holding a huge ball of snot in my hand. And do you know what he said? What? He said, ew. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so mortified. I said like, oh my God. And I ran to the bathroom and cleaned myself up. And I, I still, I can remember everything about that memory is just crystal clear. I know exactly where I was standing. I remember the picnic table. It was so, so awful. It got worse from there. Because then he wanted to go on a date and that was awful. And we went to go see Urban Cowboy and his mom had to drive us. And I cried before the date. I cried after the date. And so it was bad. And then we went back to just being friends who play tennis together. But it was a very, very difficult two weeks in the life of little 15-year-old Lynn Lyons. Wow. Yeah. Both of us have maybe an even more embarrassing story that neither one of us really want to share on the podcast. But I think that everyone has these. Mm -hmm. Everyone has these. Yes. And 
they become funny tales later. What's the expression? You'll laugh about this later. Well, and that's the hard thing. Like if you have a child who has an embarrassing situation, particularly if they're in middle school or high school and something embarrassing happens, we know that later on, this will be a story that they'll tell and it will be funny. And as an adult, looking back on their teenage years, everybody can relate to it. But man, in the moment, it just is terrible. And when we say to kids, like, look, you'll laugh about this later, that's similar. That has sort of a similar ring to it of that that expression that I tell people not to say is, what's the worst that could happen, right? We're trying to say, like, you can handle this. I'm an adult. I've been through this too. It'll get better. In the moment, if you've got a teenager, a young person who's experienced some sort of horrible, cringy social experience, it doesn't work in the moment to say, you'll laugh about this later. We know they will. But you just, in the moment, not so helpful to say that. Yeah. You just got to throw at them just a ton of empathy. And if it's somebody who you know tends to go catastrophic and you've talked about that, you could point it out that right now, I know this is super embarrassing. It happens to everybody. Let's not go catastrophic with this. You just want to make sure that you don't, from your adult perspective, make light of it because they haven't gotten to the place where it's funny yet. That takes time. Right. Well, we asked our listeners to share some of their most embarrassing stories, and we'll go over those when we come back after the break. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active, and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free apple. Option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. 
So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Okay, we're back. So, Lynn, here's a question or a way to think about this. Within the framework of striving for emotional management, Mm -hmm. sometimes if we're talking about emotions that are pretty prevalent and they're part of our daily experience, sometimes it's harder to separate and look at those under the microscope, shall we say. But a moment of embarrassment is an interesting and illustrative example, because here's a one-off, very, very powerful emotion, specifically because of something happening. And then you realize, okay, well, how do I manage this? That feeling and those really powerful feelings are stemming from a direct moment in time when you realized you were embarrassed, right? right? This wasn't some like chronic pattern. So all of a sudden, you're dealing with this like intense feeling of embarrassment and shame and having skills of kind of coming down from that is a good goal, right? Yeah. Well, because it's a moment of vulnerability, right? It's a moment of something took you by surprise. And those moments where all of a sudden the world tilts on its axis a little bit, you don't know what to say. If people talk about being embarrassed, they say, oh, I didn't know what to say. I felt frozen. I wanted to run away. Those are all sort of moments of embarrassment, moments of vulnerability where it's hard to just stay present. And remember, when you're embarrassed, when you feel that way, you go inside. So it is a conversation that you're having with you. And even after the embarrassing moment, you and you are discussing the embarrassing moment. You are not really taking into account that the other people didn't care that much or that they're going to tell a funny story and that they're going to say, oh my gosh, this poor person, it happened to them and it must have been so embarrassing. You're not picking up on the empathy of the other people toward you. You are absolutely internally focused and it becomes sort of the focus of your thoughts. And if you tend to ruminate, you can go back over it and over it. So it really has the ability, these embarrassing moments really have the ability to sort of grab on and hold on for a long time. And the skill that we want to talk about with our young people is to empathize, empathize, empathize. Oh my gosh, that must have been so embarrassing. Also, you want to stay away in that moment of telling your own embarrassing story. And I've said this before, that a lot of times when a child is feeling anxious or a teen is feeling anxious, this falls into the category of talk 85% less. 
you don't want to say, oh my gosh, when I was your age, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you could do that later. But in the moment of their embarrassment, as weird as this sounds, like let them have their embarrassment. Don't step in and work so hard to take it away. Empathize, normalize, but let them have it, right? Give them a hug. Say, oh my God. Even say like, oh my God, that sounds so embarrassing. We've all been through it. But don't launch into either trying to get rid of it or telling your story. Just let it be because it's going to happen. And that's a really good skill as a parent too. Well, one of the things you often say when we're talking about teens and anxiety from social situations is that we don't want to trap ourselves by reassuring teens, no one's going to judge you. No one's looking at you. And what's interesting about this is in those moments, it's very easy when you've had something embarrassing happen. What you're actually doing is catastrophizing the judgment of others. That's right. And so if you don't front load the skill of learning to be okay with other people judging you, that embarrassment is going to sting a lot more. If you with your kids talk about, look, people judge, you just get through it. And it's just a good idea to not care. If you're a kid who has understood that and has been sort of thinking about that, and it comes up in conversation, it will help that embarrassment a little bit, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I wouldn't say to teach them to not care, because that's really hard. But I would say, you know what, people judge. If you do something embarrassing, people are going to judge. They might even talk about it. You might be the butt of the joke and you're going to have to tolerate their judgment. You're going to have to tolerate, just like we have to tolerate other people's opinions. We have to tolerate other people's feelings, right? It's going to bother you and you're going to get through it. So I misspoke. I said, don't care what I meant tolerate because to learn to tolerate these things, it's just being with it. Right. And we also want to make sure that we just don't ruminate about it because embarrassing moments, particularly for somebody who's socially anxious, embarrassing moments, that's what you ruminate about. You go back over it. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? When people are socially anxious, they're constantly assessing themselves to try and figure out what they did wrong or how they may have made a misstep. If you do something and we have some stories, they are not little missteps. They are significantly embarrassing things that happened. How do we teach our kids to manage that? It happens to everybody and it doesn't feel good. And I think that's really what we want to say to kids is that when this happens, it doesn't feel good. It's sort of like when kids say, I hate getting shots. They hurt. I go, yeah, no kidding. I don't want to say like, oh no, it doesn't hurt. It's fine. I say, yeah, it hurts. It hurts, but we don't have to turn it into an emergency. And that's sort of the allowing mentality we want to have. We want to empathize and allow and have them be able to move through it rather than to get stuck on it. So I want to thank our listeners who submitted some stories and I promised them that their names would not be shared so they would feel comfortable. <laughs> this, I want to share this first one was so much my favorite. I could see this happening and this just took me back in time. So this listener writes, I was a big 17 reader in high school. Weren't we I, all? Oh I my know. gosh. Yeah. I wrote into the advice column describing two terrible dates I had gone on. One was about a boy that had taken me to a cemetery in his car. And another was a boy that couldn't stop burping after <laughs> ordering Orange Crush at McDonald's. They published this with my first name in town. 
one of the boys, the cemetery guy, got hold of it, added my last name, made copies, and stuffed it in everyone's lockers. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's a pretty intense day at school. Well, I also just love that this is such a like an eighties or nineties story. Oh, right? This is like right out of Stranger right, Things. Right, right, right. Because it's it's seventeen magazine. The guy had to make copies and put it in people's locker, right? So there was there was actual paper involved. Yeah. <laughs> Life in the eighties. Hey, Dad, could you take this to the copy machine at your work? Because I did they even there wasn't like Kinkos or something. You like you had to say. Hey, mom, when you go to work today, could you make copies of this? Because I'm going to put it in everybody's locker at school. Yeah, it just is such a a great 80s or 90s story. And I will say that sounds so much worse. My having snot in my hand, that was just between me and Steven. This was public humiliation. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to think about all of the anxiety patterns that could come up from this. It's very illustrative. So this happened... You're already maybe as a teenager by default, a little wary of judgment, Mm -hmm. right? That's just part of the developmental stage. So then this happens. It's so easy to A, ruminate about it. Yep. B, catastrophize what people think. C, go global where you're like, I'm never going on a date again. Yeah. Or I'm never going back to school. Or I'm never going back to school, right? So you get into these extreme global patterns. It's very easy to see how these things will just trigger all of these different anxious pattern responses. Yeah. And that's an important thing when we talk about embarrassment and somebody going through an embarrassing moment, the globalizing, I think you bring up a very good point because people take one experience and then globalize it and imagine it happening over and over and over again. So you know, you get bit by a dog. So now all dogs are dangerous. You embarrass yourself at school. So now you can never go to school again. You give a presentation and you stumble through your presentation. And now that was mortifying and you can never give another presentation again. So we really want to pay attention to how that global catastrophizing takes one incident and then spreads it far and wide and begins to dictate what you will do in the future. That's something we want to pay attention to. Here's another one, though, that is obviously less humorous because the Seventeen Magazine thing, people would have still laughed. I, you know, People would have laughed and there would have been a little bit of levity, not obviously to the person who was experiencing this. But this is like the classic teen nightmare. I was in 10th grade in world history, social studies, and my period came a couple of days early. When the bell rang at the end of the class, I stood up. There was blood all over the chair and the back of my light colored jeans, and the teachers and students saw it as well. Oh, right. Like that's the stuff of 10th grade nightmares. Right. Again, very 80s because now all the girls have period pants. Wait, what? (laughs) I know you have sons. So you probably don't even know about this. What are period pants? So these panties can hold like eight tampons worth of menstrual blood. Okay. So I thought you meant, this is what I thought you meant, that you have a certain pair of pants that you wear that are reserved for when you think you're getting to get your period. So that's what we had to do. We all wore black underwear or black pants. No, but period panties are a thing now. Oh, someday we're going to do an episode on all the words that I hate. And just so you know, panties is the top word. 
<laughs> I have a list of words that I can't stand and panties is the one on the top of the list. So you, you did a good job at first. You said period pants and then you just said period panties. I had to because you were imagining pants. You're right. So you had to make that differentiation. I appreciate the clarity. I'm just letting you know that that was triggering. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So this is an experience now. Again, like if that happened to your daughter, you would want to say like, oh my gosh, that happens to everybody. Then you want to try and say like, well, maybe nobody noticed or that kind of thing. And we just have to sit with the embarrassment of it. I think also with this one, you're going to get a lot of empathy from everybody in that situation because the boys were really embarrassed too. The boys were embarrassed that they saw it. The other girls were, I mean, this is their nightmare, like, oh my God. So you're probably going to get some empathy, right? Don't you think? Yeah. And I also think that this category, not that you want to break it down into categories, but if something like this happens or anything that's related to body function, Mm -hmm. this is a human experience. And so it's like, oh, well, if you're worried about them judging you, how do you think they're going to judge you? Oh, she has a menstrual cycle. Well, duh. Right. That's what I mean. And so it's important to know we all burp and fart, pee in our pants, have these types of things. And I think they're pretty human. I think that these types of experiences feel so vulnerable, but they're easily forgotten by other people. I was working when at my summer after high school, my best buddy and I, Polina and I were working on this cruise ship. We got a job on a cruise ship. It sounded fun. It was not fun. And we were standing in the dining room of the cruise ship. And we had to wear these white polyester pants and then these colored smocks, depending on what meal we were serving. And Polina was standing across the dining room from me and I made her laugh, which I was good at doing. And she started laughing and laughing and laughing. And then she started really laughing and then I knew what was going to happen. And then she started really laughing because I knew it was happening. And she stood there and she peed in her white polyester pants in the dining hall of the cruise ship. Nice. Appetizing. Appetizing. Yeah. But I'll tell you, Polina was one of the few people in the world, if I were to ask her right now, was that an embarrassing moment? She'd be like, nope. It was one of my greatest moments. She could observe herself with such humor The reason she started laughing so hard when she started peeing was because she could actually observe the situation and she found great humor in the fact that that was happening. You know, that's funny that you mentioned that because I want to share this next one and prove your point. Okay. So someone said this, I was at a basketball game with my friends. I saw a cute guy and said to my friend, who's the guy in the white shirt? He's hot. Everyone turned around and looked at me. I then remembered I had headphones on and had actually yelled it really loud. I promptly turned around and just walked away. So this is one of those things where don't you wish you're the person like your friend Polina? Everyone's looking and you realize you did this. And instead, you just nod back at everyone and give an exaggerated (laughs) wink. Right, right. Right? Like you own that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can laugh at myself and I own that. And you actually have that skill. I just wanted to sort of highlight that because if we're thinking of this as skills, having kind of like a, a sense of humor where you're capable of poking fun at yourself. I think I actually have that too. My mom was very good at that as well. If you can take hold of that embarrassing moment and then add on to it, you've dispelled the embarrassment. You're controlling that moment in a positive way. Yeah. 
Well, I think for me, I like to tell stories and I also like to be funny. If I have an embarrassing story that I can then use to my advantage in that way, even when something embarrassing is happening to me, sometimes I'm already thinking it's sort of like a stand-up comedian is already thinking like, okay, this is going to be good material. And I think that probably comes with age, but it's the ability to laugh at yourself because I do ridiculous things all the time. Well, we all do. I know. But it's the difference between finding the humor in it and finding the mortification in it. Mm-hmm. Is that a word in that sense? But mortification. Okay. Mortification. Sure. Let's okay. go with it. Yeah. I might have made that up. Okay. That's okay. So when we come back, there is a story here that is going to make you all laugh. So stay tuned. It's embarrassing. It just an amazing high school way. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Okay, so now back to the show. All right, we've got another one here. Interestingly, and I think not surprisingly, a lot of these stories are about when you were in high school, which is so funny that certainly embarrassing things have happened to you as an adult, but man, do those early embarrassments, those teenage embarrassments get tattooed into your brain. Well, I think that's also probably because the first time you're truly experiencing certain types of emotions, like you said, public humiliation or whatever, to that extreme, they become very memorable. I mean, maybe there's a reason, I don't know the science of memory, but it could be that when you experience specific motions at a new level for the first time, it's going to leave a mark. And this is also just when you're just most socially, you start developing that social awareness, right? And adolescents feel things strongly. So those powerful emotions that you felt, they're right there. All right. So let me read this one. This is funny. When I was a freshman in high school, our little dog was sprayed by a skunk in the middle of the night. Parenthetically, that happened in our house too when we were kids. And my brother, your husband, took his pillow 
and ran and hid in the closet with his pillow because he didn't want his pillow to get contaminated. Okay. So, <laughs> which is very... Which was is he very, 16 or 8? Yeah, that was two years ago. <laughs> he was probably like 12. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this dog gets sprayed by a skunk in the middle of the night. This wasn't an average skunk spray, though. I was asleep. My door was closed. The smell was so strong, it woke me up. I could literally taste the skunk spray in the air. Apparently, Holly, the little dog, took a direct hit, ran through the whole house before my mom, who'd gotten up to let her out in the middle of the night, even realized what had happened. Of course, by the time I went to school the next morning, I was nose blind and couldn't smell it anymore. From the minute I got in my neighbor's van for the ride to school, the nose wrinkling and comments started. The very worst moment, however, was when my socially awkward biology teacher... Everyone had one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a great phrase. My socially awkward biology teacher began sniffing around the classroom, finally making his way to me. He stood near me, leaned in... Sniffing away in front of the whole class. <laughs> oh, my God. I had to admit I was the one who smelled like Pepe Le Pew. So embarrassing. I couldn't go home because my poor parents had to attend a funeral where they also smelled like skunk, I would imagine, where they got a lot of side eye looks. There wasn't anyone who could pick me up. Though I thought I might die at the time, I'm still here now to laugh about it. Yeah. You know, if I were her, I mean, gosh, that biology class image, I'm even picturing a teacher, right? I like know, I've, got the picture, I've got the yeah. picture in my head of the teacher. Those moments of the teacher moving closer and closer to her with the Jaws theme playing. That actually had to be the worst part of the whole experience. Oh my God. For her. Yeah. It's like a John Hughes movie, right? So you're sitting there <laughs> and he just keeps coming closer and closer and closer. Oh my God. Like, please, please, please. I know. Yeah. Cause that's like extended embarrassment. That's like, you can, you can see it happen. You know where this is going. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. See, so now whoever wrote in this story, I hope that you have been able to tell this story and make people laugh the way that you just made us laugh, because that's what this is about. My mom had a couple of embarrassing stories that she loved to tell, and I was very young when I heard them. You know, she would always talk about embarrassing things that happened to her on dates. She like crawled into the back seat of a car and literally farted right in the face of her date who was climbing in, you know, right next to her. <laughs> oh, there, God. Was, there was another one where she was on a date. I'm still picturing this big 1960s car as well, where she accidentally like she was trying to look at the guy while he was talking to her and the straw of her milkshake went right up her nostril. Oh, God. And then she turned when she realized this happened, she jerked, but then the straw came out. And then just started flinging, you know, milkshake everywhere. Yeah. You know, oh. all those little things. And so it was good for me to understand this stuff happens. Yeah. And I think that in your family, you can share these funny stories. 
you just don't want to share them right after your child shares it. Right. You have to share them in advance. Yeah. And they become sort of family lore and it lets everybody laugh about it. And you're modeling for your kid that it was so embarrassing at the time, but you were able to get through it. And now you can have a sense of humor about yourself. So important to model that. The thing we don't want to do and the thing we don't want to show our kids is just taking everything so seriously, right? And just being so mortified and saying to your kid, I'm still not over it. Yeah, we want to be able to show kids how we can handle these things happening because it normalizes it. Of course, it's going to happen. All of us have a farting story where we farted somewhere that we weren't supposed to fart. That's right. Or we emailed someone we weren't supposed to email or it all happens. I think you brought up this good point where the parent, the listeners have to really check in with themselves. If your child tells you something similar to one of these stories, do you honestly know how you would react? And if you don't react where you sort of reply in a mellow way, you remain calm, you show a lot of empathy, but you don't treat it like an emergency. Walk us through that fine line of a difference. I'll give you an example. When I hit a car during my driver's test, I was mortified. And so when I walked back into the DMV, my mom was there waiting for me. Of course, I was sobbing and she opened her arms and she gave me a hug and there was all the appropriate empathy. And then later I find out that everybody was laughing behind my back in my family. Like she went home and said like, oh my God, Lenny hit a car during your driver's test. And it was like, woohoo. But they didn't do that in front of me. I found that out much, much later. So it really is about helping your child in the moment, giving them the language. And, you know, I'm sure she said something like, okay, this isn't the end of the world. We can schedule another appointment. You can come back and try again. So she went right into some problem solving and how we're going to deal with this. It really is about being where they are in the moment with empathy and support not going into the catastrophizing with them. If they come home and tell you an embarrassing thing that they do to say, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Oh my God. Oh, right. You don't want to do that. You don't want to join them in their global catastrophizing. So it's this middle ground between being able to offer empathy and support, maybe a little problem solving if need be, maybe not depending on the situation, but you don't want to join them in their heightened emotions at the time which is really what we talk about all the time in terms of being vanilla ice cream, is that when somebody's having a difficult time, they don't want you, they don't need you, your kids don't need you to then model for them in the moment how to stay in that state. Our last story I have to add, because I think it speaks to adult embarrassment and where we can go with this, okay? Yep. So I laughed when I read this. Yeah. I was in middle school when this happened. I was walking home from school and I had worn a skirt that day. I was crossing Main Street and a car stopped to let me cross. And as I did, a lady rolls down her window and yells, Hey, did you know your skirt was tucked into your nylons? This was the 80s, so people still wore nylons back then. And at some point in the afternoon, I'd used the bathroom and had tucked my skirt into my nylons and then walked through middle school and part of the way home that way. Not so funny at the time, but rather humorous to tell now. Okay, so I have something to add to this. (laughs) When I was pregnant with my son, who was born in August, I was very pregnant one summer, right? That June, July, 
it was very hot. And this one maternity outfit that I could still fit into was this like elastic maternity waistband skirt and like a t-shirt. And that was sort of like what I got through this summer. I was well past shorts, right? (laughs) So my daughter and I are at Panera and we're having a lunch. And as I have walked out of the bathroom back to our table at the other side of the restaurant, my maternity skirt was totally tucked into my underwear. So that means that I walked like bare cheeked through the whole <laughs> restaurant. Look at that pregnant woman's ass is what I'm sure people said. Okay. So I was a little embarrassed and then the exact same thing happened again. Oh my God. We were out at a restaurant and my daughter noted that my skirt once again was tucked into my <laughs> underwear. And can I tell you something? Yeah. This really pregnant, exhausted woman was like, huh, who cares? Like I literally didn't even care anymore that my bare ass had been shown to a whole Panera or wherever we were for that second time. And so I think that that's also like that skill. I really don't care about the judgment here anymore. Yeah, it we I'm have done. we have crossed over right. into the I don't care stage. Yep, no Fs left to give. Well, I remember I, wor- I was working in a, a agency, a mental health agency, and one of the therapists who was super nice, she went to the bathroom and she came back and she also had her skirt tucked totally into her nylons in the back. She comes back in, walks through the waiting room, goes into... <laughs> yeah, and everybody, you know, we're like, oh, hey, Jill. That doesn't happen so much anymore because we don't wear those nylons like we used to. I don't know what it was about this one maternity skirt and my maternity underwear, but something about that, they were prone to do it. And so then unlike the nylons, there was a lot of skin showing, I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah, I've got an image. I've got it. <laughs> I got it. Wait, hold on. You're walking through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holding yep. my little, you, no, I wasn't holding my you pick two because I had just come from the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, embarrassing moments happen. And as parents, I think just like you always say, front loading this can be helpful. And normalizing it and knowing that it's going to happen and you're going to feel embarrassed and you're going to get through it and you're going to laugh about it someday. So. I think that's why we wanted to do this, just to remind everybody, as you're raising your kids, humor, levity, connection, vulnerability, screwing up, telling a good story, all of those things help us as we're parenting. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community, and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're gonna talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions 
that help us function a little bit better.